Dear friends in Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. A word again from our sermon text, 1 Kings chapter 3. In the eyes of the Lord, Solomon's request was good. So God said to him, Because you have asked for this, and you have not asked for a long life, nor have you asked for riches, nor have you asked for the lives of your enemies, but you have asked for discernment to reach just verdicts. Therefore, I will act according to your words. Yes, I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you before you, nor will anyone like you rise up after you. The word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters, fellow sinners and redeemed of the Lord God by the blood of Jesus Christ. What would be your answer? God came to you in a dream. You didn't even know it was a dream as Solomon didn't seem to know. And spoke to you face to face and said, what do you want? I'll give you one thing. What would be your answer? Would you know what to say? If I asked you to tell the person next to you this morning, would you be bold enough to turn and say your answer? I think that's an awful moment, personally. Because I'm afraid I would ask for the wrong thing. Aren't you? I mean, there's one thing here, just one. And if you have the right answer, you could set the tone for your whole life. But if you have the wrong answer, you might find yourself with your desires of today ending up in destruction for tomorrow, maybe. But it's God who's asking. I know he wants my best. I know he, he's out to love me and wants my good. And he does for you too as well. What if it came in a phone call as, a, as if a poll, a research analyst said, I'm conducting research and analyzing it. And if God came to you, I need to ask you this question. If God came to you and asked you for one thing and, and said you could have it, whatever you ask, what would that thing be? Does that make it a little easier, not so dramatic? I heard an older pastor tell about a circuit meeting where they were all trying to figure out one particular problem in a congregation, trying to assist this fellow pastor, as we do in our, in our circuit meetings. And after this long discussion, knowing that he was going to go through something grueling, something difficult with, with members and with doctrine and bringing God's word to God's people, the individual pastor who was faced with this problem ended up saying I just pray that God makes me smarter in the next few days I just pray that God makes me smarter see that's precisely what God faced Solomon this young king with a vast empire greater than Israel had ever been or ever would be after King Solomon that's what he was faced with he'd be able to answer that question one thing and God would give it to him. Fortunately, Solomon asked very wisely, 
Even before he asked for wisdom, he asked for something really good that God even said. This, this is very good, almost as if it's the best thing Solomon could have possibly asked for because in his answer, God would grant it and would give Solomon all kinds of special things so that you don't even have to be a churchgoer or a Bible believer to know the name Solomon and to culturally get the wisdom that was involved with this particular king. All the world of his time knew it, and 3,000 years later, the world still knows the wisdom of Solomon. And through that wisdom and through that wise answer to God's question, believers now, believers now have the same kind of wisdom the same kind of faith's wisdom that multiplied blessings for Solomon, may it multiply blessings for us today. If we get into the text, we see stuff that kind of throws us into a situation without any context. We get thrust into this evening dream, but it would be good to look at the whole chapter and to see what has led up to this in the whole book of First Kings, not to mention all of the things that happen in King David's life. So let me just tell you what we don't get in these verses that are, that's also in the chapter is that King Solomon had brought everyone together at this place called Gibeon. It was a Levitical town, not one of the six main cities of refuge in Israel, but a place where you would have priests to sacrifice, and sacrifice they did. A thousand animals is what Solomon had them sacrifice. You don't get a whole lot of that in the secular world. There is one example of King Xerxes offering a thousand animals for sacrifice in the ancient world, but it didn't happen too often. It was a pretty big deal, and all the people from every corner of this country that was becoming an empire was there at Gibeon with Solomon. And as Solomon surveyed the vast numbers of his own people that he was about to rule as he was starting out as king, it must have really set in acutely severely that he was going to have to make some pretty big decisions for a lot of people. And it, if he made one wrong move, it could spell destruction for himself and his father's dynasty. In fact, if he didn't make a series of very wise and intelligent moves, the whole empire could disintegrate. I mean, if you look at what had happened leading up to this, yeah, Israel was one nation, but there was, there was still some jealousies among the tribes, very, very sincere jealousies. And all of the conquering that King David had done, the empire hadn't yet really coalesced. And here was a young king, inexperienced, who was faced with potential dilemmas and difficulties all over the place, all kinds of landmines for ruling. And wouldn't it be nice, <laughs> wouldn't it be nice to have a king who cared about discerning between right and wrong, a ruler who cared about understanding his people and taking a, a sincere interest in them. And here's God visiting him in a dream. Because on, on the other hand, if you look back at Israel's whole history, it was a series of miraculous interventions at the hand of Almighty God. And why, at this point, would it be any different. For God had promised to be with Moses as he led them out and provided them with bread 
from heaven, meat that flocked to them, water from the rock. So many instances of God intervening for his people and drawing them back. Sin would struggle and run away, but God would draw them back like a great shepherd for his sheep. Why would it be any different? And it's almost unexpected when God comes in, but it shouldn't be, and says in a dream to King Solomon, ask whatever you want and I'm going to give it to you. Wow. Whatever? Yeah. Ask whatever you want and I will give it to you. What would you ask for? Would you ask for some of these bad examples that seem good? There's nothing wrong with God's creation, but when in the hands of a sinner with a sinful human heart gets twisted, becomes an idol, becomes a god because it displaces God soon enough, or at least doesn't give you the advantages that God means to give spiritually. Would you ask for riches? Is that what you would ask for? Wealth? Sometimes it's called sudden wealth syndrome when a lottery ticket winner proceeds into this great wealth. 70% of them fall into bankruptcy. Their families fall apart in divorce. And things get rough personally more often than not. They become targets of crime, targets of people asking for handouts. I don't know that sudden wealth even without reading the Bible, is, is the greatest thing to ask for. In fact, I know it's not. Would you ask for a long life? A future king would. Good King Hezekiah asked for a long life. He wanted God to extend his years before he would die. But everything after God grants that prayer, God says yes, everything after that for King Hezekiah kind of is a downer for the whole kingdom. He even invites Babylonian ambassadors into the secrets of Jerusalem and their treasury. What happens in a few years? Well, the Babylonians come in and carry them off into exile. So that doesn't seem to be the greatest thing. How about revenge? Would you ask for vengeance on your enemies, the bullies at school? Sounds satisfying, but ultimately, that's not going to get you very far. Search your heart. What would you ask? And be prepared for this fact that according to your sinful nature and apart from God, whatever you would ask is going to be wrong. (laughs) I know that because St. Paul says in that great chapter, Romans chapter 8, the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's will, nor can it do so. Be prepared for the possibility that your request for God wouldn't be the right one. Lord, search my heart. Because the other way that I know that I often ask for the wrong thing is that Jesus himself said in the upper room on the night he was betrayed, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And how often do I ask with wrong desires, as James points out? How often do I not know what to ask, as Paul says again in Romans chapter 8? How often do I ask for the wrong thing? And still, Jesus listens. Still, he forgives. Still, he sends his Holy Spirit into my heart to remind me of that truth, that this is precisely the wrong motives, precisely the wrong things that I do that send me to the cross 
of Jesus Christ. That terrifying, torturous instrument of death where Jesus spilled out his blood so that whatever wrong thing I might possibly do up to this point and in the future is covered over in the atonement of the cross. All believers, yes. All people, yes. All time, everywhere, yes. That's what Jesus died for. All our wrong decisions, I can't count that. That's bigger than a thousand sacrifices. That's bigger than all the Israelites from every corner of an empire and more. That's Jesus Christ at work. When the Holy Spirit opens your heart to see that great exchange, then things change in here, in the sinful human heart. Change you, he does. Soren Kierkegaard, the famed Danish philosopher of the 19th century, Lutheran, at least in name, questionable about saving faith, but I don't have to make that judgment call. Like to tell parables. Kierkegaard told his parables. At dinner parties, people loved him. And the ones that people really liked and seemed to make his philosophical point, he would write down and, and give to us in books now, generations later. And one of, one of his parables that I really liked, Kierkegaard's parable, was of the unusual band of jewelry burglars. Overnight, some burglars broke into a jewelry store, and instead of stealing anything, they left it all. They switched around all of the price tags. Just imagine that. Next morning you come in, you're looking for jewelry, and the diamond ring for your beloved costs costs the price of tin. Or the copper bracelet that you just wanted to accessorize ends up being the price of gold and silver. It shuffles around all your values. I like that parable because that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ does for me shuffles around all my values. It reorders things. It puts things in different ranking that I would have never thought before. I don't go for riches and I don't go for long life. With any luck, it'll be a short life. And God will bless me spiritually much more than ever before by opening my eyes through the gospel to what really matters. What really counts? Jesus means to give you forgiveness of sins, salvation, eternal life. Both sacraments are attached with those promises, holy baptism and the heavenly food of holy communion. That's what those things give us. That's what God's word is packaged like. Any sinner can hear those things and know them and their eyes open up like that jewelry store after a night of mischievous burglars who didn't steal anything but reordered all those things because not only does it reorder our priorities, it multiplies the blessings in our lives. After all, what else holds value but Jesus Christ? Whom have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire besides you? Sang the psalmist. Jesus Christ himself, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, Solomon made up his mind, and he asked for the right thing. And in his prayer, you find model prayer. It's beautiful. He adores God and thanks him. Then he goes into a confession of his inability before God and before all these people that he's supposed to govern. And then he closes with the ask, the petition. Did you hear that? Let me read it again. Verse 6, Solomon's adoration and thanksgiving. 
Solomon said, you have shown great mercy and faithfulness to your servant, my father David, just as he walked before you in truth, righteousness, and uprightness of heart toward you. You have shown this great mercy and faithfulness to him and have given him a son who is seated on his throne to this very day. O Lord my God, now you have made your servant king in place of my father David. Okay, that's adoration, thanksgiving. Then he moves into confessing his inability. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Verse 8, And I, your servant, am among your people whom you have chosen, a great people who cannot be counted or numbered because they are so many. Now the ask. Now give to your servant a perceptive heart to judge your people, to distinguish between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? It's a good request, God says. I'll give you all the things you ask for and more, God says. And look, if you look at it very closely, that, that word perceptive heart, two words in the Hebrew, lev shomer. It's a good translation, perceptive heart, but I like simple. And really all that means is a hearing heart. Reminds me of the hymn that didn't show up in our new hymnal, but was in Christian worship 1993. Lord, open now my heart to hear. These are basically words of Solomon. Lord, open now my heart to hear. And through your word to me draw near. Let me your word heir pure retain. Let me your child and heir remain. And I hope you notice that Solomon didn't just ask the Lord to open his ears, but to open his heart. What did Solomon want to model for his people? He wanted to demonstrate that he really cared. He wasn't just hearing things, he was listening to them and he was feeling them with his people. He wanted to listen with sympathy and empathy and all the things, compassion, and with the grace and wisdom of faith. A man before God, yes, before people, but recognizing that he really stands before God's justice and wants to issue the same kind of justice on his people. He's, he's basically saying, oh Lord, you tell me how to think. You tell me how to feel. How about that prayer? Oh Lord, you tell me how to be a good parent. Oh Lord, you tell me how to be a good brother or sister. Oh Lord, you tell me how to drive around 465, especially where it meets I-69. Oh Lord, you tell me how to love and pray for the bullies at school. Oh Lord, you tell me how to really open my heart and my ears to my father and mother who are so backwards and out of touch and I know better. Lord, you tell me how to do that. It's not a bad prayer. That's a good prayer. Lord, you tell me how to open up your word and not read into it what I want to see, but read off the page the way that you have put it together for me. Lord, you tell me how to let go of a sister in faith that you've drawn to yourself in heaven. Lord, you tell me how to trust. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And these are good prayers because what a friend we have in God. What a friend we have in a God who listens to us with his heart. And we get an example of Jesus multiplying the bread and the fish because he was listening to his disciples, listening to his people, and showing and sharing and providing for them. 
What a friend we have in God because what a friend we have in Jesus who spilled his blood all over the place so that we could gather up his gifts in our hands and take them through this life into eternity. The things that matter most, the things for soul and spirit. James writes, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. This is true among friends and family. This is true among acquaintances, neighbors, and enemies. This is especially true with God. Lord, you tell me, open up my heart to hear. Open up my hands to receive what you mean to give to me today. What would you answer if God came to you with that blank check question? I'll give you one thing, whatever you ask. It may be different for you than Solomon. I'm sure it would be so similar according to faith's wisdom. But when I speak to you, to the real you, the new creation that the Holy Spirit has created in your heart by faith, I know you have the right answer. In the name of Jesus, amen. Please stand.